Um, turning your Bibles to Galatians 5. Galatians 5, starting at chapter or verse 16. We're coming off a, a series on the sacraments um, and heading into a series uh, for the next few weeks on worship. And sort of, um, I'm in between. Uh, Scott is his birthday today, and he didn't want to preach on his birthday. Um, and uh, Will is just, just wanted to kick it, so um, they sent me to come and preach. Um, and it's a huge privilege and honor. Sometimes I feel kind of dumb I'm preaching, just to be honest with you, because many of you are far older and wiser than I am. And so to pretend like I have something to, to give you is really humbling. Um, so bear, bear with me in that regard. And um, my prayer is just that the Holy Spirit will, will still do something um, in your heart and mind as you uh, listen to him and, and respond to what God is doing um, in you. So we're at Galatians 5, verse 16, and it says this, So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They're in conflict with each other, so that you don't do what you want. But... If you're led by the Spirit, then you're not under law. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. They're obvious. They're obvious. There's sexual immorality and impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft. They're hatred and discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, their drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, it's joy, it's peace and patience and kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Those who belong to Christ, Jesus, have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. And let's not become conceited, provoking, or envying each other. Um, it's a scary, scary thing to leave something behind. It's a, it's a really fear-inducing moment when you come to the point where you realize you have to go or you've left something Change uh, is the one thing that for all of us is, is really, really difficult. 
When I was a kid, I was notorious for leaving things behind. Um, I can remember specifically one time in seventh grade uh, going to baseball practice. And um, I know this may come as a shocker to you, but this was actually quite common um, in my home that I would forget things or leave them behind. But I left my baseball glove at the field, got in my car, was all excited about practice, made it home, went to go get my stuff, and realized that I had left my glove behind. I had forgotten it somewhere in the field. And you know, as a kid, when you lose something and you have this horrible sense, maybe you guys didn't have this and there was something horribly wrong with me, but fear um, shot through like every muscle and fiber and bone in my body. I, I knew somebody else had taken it and I would never see my glove again. And if you know something about like baseball gloves, they take a while to like work in and you know, you get a glove just right and then it's like formed to your hand so that you can get every ball and never make any error and you look awesome doing it. And so all of that was gonna be lost in a moment. All of like the stardom and, and being um, able to, to make cool plays to my friends, that was gonna be lost. Not to mention, I was a really like money conscious kid and I hated when my parents had to, had to spend money on me. And there was a sense of, I lost my glove, I've let them down. I've left this thing behind. You know that, that feeling, that pit? When you're gonna change something in your life and, and you're gonna pursue something new and you know it means leaving something else behind. That sense of loss is, is real. Paul, in chapter five of this text, um, is confronting the church in Galatia because they're unwilling to leave behind an old way. Specifically, in 5 verse 1, he refers to this practice, some of their traditions, as being like a yoke of slavery. He says, when, when you live like that, you're missing the entire point. The point in 5 verse 5, he says, is faith as it's being expressed through love. The point is not the traditions and the things and the practices that you do. That, that's not the point at all. The point is actively living out faith. Leaving um, is tough. And the folks in Galatia are having a difficult time with that. A few verses later, in verse 25, uh, Paul uses the language of keeping in step with the Spirit. Since we live by the Spirit, let's keep in step with the Spirit. And this language actually sort of harkens to uh, a march. And if you think about a march, I was a marching band person, um, which is kind of embarrassing to admit, uh, but I played the trumpet and marched in something called um, the Tulip Festival. And I can remember um, when we would march, there being sort of this cadence. And it was this call to move. Sorry if that scared you, by the way. <laughs> I've always wanted to do that, just have a loud noise at work. But there's this call to march, there's this call to move when we heard that sound. 
There's this call to action. Flip up our horn and get ready to go. And Paul is saying to the church in Galatia, that's what walking with God is like. You don't have to keep doing it, Lenny. It once was good, okay? You had your moment. It scared us all. Paul is saying that's exactly what faith is like. It's like marching with God. If we're going to march with God, the assumption is that God knows what he's doing, and there's also a way that we can move with him. Paul says, since you, by the Spirit, came to life or have life, by the Spirit, you ought to be led. And so this cadence This way that that we're supposed to live that's tuned in to what God is doing is like a march where we hear the beat, we hear the call, and we respond in faith. Again, though, this, this is tough to follow that rhythm, to live in a way that's full, that bears fruit. To to walk that way means leaving certain things behind because when you're marching the scenery is always new you don't get to stand in one place and talk about how great marching is or was or has been you don't get to just take off your goofy hat and hang out with the other marchers and dream about the days when you used to march no marchers what makes them marchers is that they hear the cadence and they move and Paul says that, that's what it's like in the Spirit. Um, when we read this text, there's this huge challenge, because maybe you even felt it and experienced it when we were reading this. Uh, if you look at verse 19 and on, there's a whole list of words. Um, when we read these sorts of things in youth group, we have to go through all the words and talk about what they mean, because otherwise it's just like Latin or something. Uh, some of them don't mean anything um, to students in, unless you understand um, you know, or have a little bit bigger vocabulary. So words like debauchery, kids don't have a clue what that means. It's just like this idea of recklessness. Idolatry and witchcraft. Um, Let's face it, there's probably very few of us who are struggling um, with like witchcraft in here. Uh, There's a word, um, discord, which means things are like out of sync. Uh, They're just not fitting like they ought to. Fits of rage Selfish, selfish ambitions. And we kind of go down the check line and we're like, yeah, that one, no. I don't struggle with that one. That one a little bit, probably like a four out of ten. This one maybe like a three. Um, you get to orgies and you're like, no, not that one ever. And kids are like, what is that, mom? And you're like, shh, listen to the sermon, listen to the pastor. Um, and so we do this like game in these lists, right? We call this sin management. And a lot of us grow up or grew up in, in communities where we thought that being a Christian was about managing our sin rightly. It was about keeping our sin in check, or at least making sure none of these words apply to us. Witchcraft, don't have any problem with that one. Debauchery, don't know what it means. Um, And so we play this game that being Christian is ultimately about our sin not being sort of exposed, or our sin, uh, you know, keeping it in, in wraps. In wraps or under wraps? I don't know. I'm not good at idioms. I always tell people that. But Paul says it's not about that. It's not about managing sin. These are sort of the fruit of a life 
that's lived focus on those things. We can easily, easily confuse trying to be good for following God. Sometimes we confuse trying to do good things for being a part of what God is up to in the world. And so Paul says, no, 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 no. It's not about that. It's not about you trying to perform your religious activity rightly. It's about being led somewhere. It's about being led by the Spirit. And the result of being led, the fruit of it, is these things. Yeah, they're indications of being led, but they're not the point. Um, when we're being led, we're often um, inviting God to take us into places that require us to leave something behind. When we're being led, it often means turning from some things so that we can pursue something greater. Part of the issue that I see within my faith is that my vision of what God has for the world can be far, far too small. I heard it said recently that if your dreams don't scare you, they're not big enough. If your vision for your children, our kids, doesn't scare us a little bit, they're not big enough. If what God is calling us to doesn't keep us up a little bit at night, maybe it's not big enough. I'm notorious in our youth ministry for quoting and looking at The Hobbit and um, exploring J.R. Tolkien's work uh, the Lord of the Rings. Some of you, I know, like love this movie, and some of you don't get it at all and hate it and think, why would he even be quoting it? But I just want to share with you a quick story from this. How many of you know what The Lord of the Rings is? Okay, for the four of you that, that haven't seen this movie yet, you need to go see the movies or read the books, probably even better. Um, but The Lord of the Rings is this trilogy series by J.R. Tolkien, and the prequel to this whole thing is called The Hobbit. And The Hobbit is about... Um, a, a hobbit is, a, is a, like a little creature, like half rabbit, half child, that lives in this area called the Shire, which is really safe and protected. Um, it's, it's like filled with just, you know, gentle, fluffy, cuddly things, and like there's always like music that's flute-like, no offense, Joe, but it's just like really, you know, safe place. Um, hobbits love like creature comforts. They've got pantries full of food. They've got a nice hearth and place to sit by it. Um, there is, uh, you know, great, great de decor in their homes, and they live, literally like live underground. Okay, that's a hobbit. Um, in, in the film, in the books, uh, there are also people uh, called wizards. Um, wizards are folks who are always kind of like trying to meddle in the business and the affairs of the world. And specifically, there's one named Gandalf, who is always trying to sort of promote the activity of, we'll just call it good, in, in the world. He's always trying to do what's best for people like hobbits. Well, 
there's a strange friendship between Gandalf and one of the hobbits named Bilbo Baggins. And one day, Gandalf comes to his door, and he says, Bilbo Baggins, I'm looking for somebody to share an, ad an adventure with. I'm looking for somebody that's willing to share in an adventure. And Bilbo hears the words, and he kind of like, no, I don't, I don't think so. Um, he says to, to Gandalf, you know, I need to sit quietly for a minute. I need to just sit quietly for a minute. Which to me is akin to folks who say, like, I have an opportunity for you, and let me pray about it. Um, maybe that's not fair. But one of the things I think when there is this sense in this call of God even like evoking and inviting and saying, I have an adventure for you to go on. I have a dream for you. I have a mountain that by faith I'm inviting you to be a part of moving. One of the things I think we do is say, um, let me think about it. Which, if you're in a place where you get to invite people to do things and they say, let me think about it, you know that's no. But Bilbo says, uh, let me sit quietly for a moment. And Gandalf retorts, you've been sitting quietly for far too long. When did doilies and your mother's dishes become so important to you? And those words cut me when I heard them. Doilies and his mother's dishes had become the things that he thought he was supposed to protect and preserve and hold on to. Paul gets after the Galatians and says, hey, the traditions that you're trying to hold on to from your, Judy, your Jewish roots, they're like doilies and dishes. They're not where the life is. They're not where God is calling you into some, some new thing, some new adventure. Bilbo says to Gandalf in that conversation, so if I go with you, can you promise that I'll return? And Gandalf looks at him square in the face and says, no. And if you do, you won't be the same. And so if you haven't picked up on it yet, as I'm watching, I see Gandalf sort of being like the spirit, provoking Bilbo, inviting him, stirring up a kind of restlessness in him about the status quo, about his current reality, and saying, hey, there's something out there that's even greater than what you're experiencing in here. God is actually at work beyond our little doilies and dishes, and he's inviting us to go be a part of it. We were having a prayers, um, a, a pastor's prayer time in um, the River House this week. Um, okay, scratch that. They were having a pastor's prayer time, and uh, later I showed up when it was lunch. So I apologize. I just came for lunch. Um, but we had a cool conversation during that time uh, about we were talking about the next generation and what does it look like, faith in the next generation. And one of the things we talked about is that um, students and, and young people are starving for a mountain 
to move. They're, they're starving for something that's scary and, and bigger. Um, I don't watch scary movies because I can't sleep at night when I watch them, but I can't believe how many um, people, kids, watch like terrifying movies. Um, th- they watch movies and like, I can't, I don't know, I feel like my imagination is scary enough where I don't need to like watch scary things, but kids like love, love these scary movies and part of it is like the thrill of, of danger. And Gandalf looks him straight in the eyes and says, I can't promise you that you'll be okay. And I think the Holy Spirit says, when you walk by the Spirit, I can't promise your safety. When our kids do things like a, a former student from here is currently um, went to U of R and is doing like a developmental thing, uh, study there, um, she went to Uganda and she's there this semester. And she recently said, we were walking the streets and all these kids kept asking us for money. And when we talked to our guide about it, they said that those kids take their money and bring it back to their pimps, back to the people that are trafficking them. They belong to other people who send them out to go get money. And then they bring that money back. And she said, I stopped giving them money and now I give them starbursts. She said, within that context in Uganda, We're going to go serve at an orphanage where a 17-year-old orphan started. He began a a community in place to get kids out of that. A 17-year-old. And I think if we are honest about what it means to be led by the Spirit, that it's dangerous and it's scary and we might not come back, and if we do, there's no way that we're the same. If we're not honest with our kids, they're going to go pursue that elsewhere. Their heart is going to go sing another name. And I'm not saying we become adventure, crazy, freaky, just fly by the seat of our pants, do whatever the Spirit. That's not what I'm saying. But I do believe that God is inviting us as a community to be led by Him in a way that even frightens us a bit. That we say, if we go here, it means goodbye to this. And we might never come back. The call of Christianity has always been to come. Jesus, when he's walking through the Judean hillsides, invites people to follow him by coming. It's been a call to come and to leave. Come and leave. I always read the story of the rich young ruler and wonder what the kingdom of God would currently be like if that young brother had followed Jesus. What if he would have said, okay, take all my stuff and give it to the poor? I can do that. I want to follow you. It's just stuff. It's just a whole lot of stuff, but it's just stuff. It's going gonna, it's gonna to pass away, but following you, that will never pass away. Author Donald Miller said that that the beginning and the climax and the resolution have already been written, and it would be a shame to fill the middle up with something boring. It would be a shame for us not to heed that call to leave. 
And so the question I think for us this morning is, what are we afraid to move from? What are we afraid to leave? What are we afraid to go beyond? Uh, Maybe for some of you it's your language, um, the way you talk, the things you say to people. You feel like if you were to give that up, if you were to give up those, uh, I don't know, that crassness, if you were to give that up, you would like leave a part of you that you're, you're pretty comfortable with because that's the part that puts you in touch with like, humanity. Maybe for some of you, it's like you, you would actually leave an old way of, of addiction. Recently, I was talking to somebody who said they were talking to their mom about this addiction that she has, and the reason she couldn't leave it is because she couldn't imagine her life without it. She just couldn't picture what life would be like if she followed the Holy Spirit and left this, this thing behind and went on an adventure. For some of us, maybe it's, it's like leaving our, our jobs. Maybe it's, it's like looking at it and going, this is just not what God is calling me to. I know there's something bigger. I don't know what it is, but I know it's there. Yeah, but what about like our future, our 401k thing, 401k? What about all that? What about it? I don't know. What if God is calling you to walk away from it and go slay a dragon? That's what Gandalf calls Bilbo too. What if God is calling you uh, to leave behind busyness as you come into a new year and there's hundreds of commitments that are required of you and your kids and you just say, I'm not, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to live like that. God's called me to live into it like a full way of being. He's called me to march to his beat. And I know when I'm running and gunning, I can't do that. And so I'm, not, I'm just not going to do it. So I'm going to say no. I'm going to just say no. And I believe he's calling me to leave the hustle and the bustle. And thinking importance comes out of being constantly busy and overcommitted. I'm not going to live like that. Um, I always just wonder, like, it makes me terribly afraid to think that God, the Holy Spirit could be calling me into something and I would say no and I would miss it. That, that he would be calling me something, into something and I could miss what he's doing. I could miss where he's leading. If God is, is actually for us, like we sang, if the God of angel armies is our friend through the blood of Jesus Christ, if he goes before us, if he goes and stands behind, if he's surrounding us, then it would be a shame not to be led by him. A while back, Kyle Bleeker and I were talking, and we said that Christianity really isn't that difficult. It doesn't require um, thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars of education Uh, which Kyle and I were both bemoaning the fact that we were in seminary. Um, It doesn't require that. It it only requires that you die. It's really easy. Come, die, and you'll live. Leave it. Leave it all and follow me, and then you got it. It's there. You will inherit the kingdom of God. Um... This summer, we had opportunity with our interns to go to Newport 
and hang out for a few days. And, and we were in this apartment, and we were all sharing um, with each other where we had seen God working in each other's lives that, this summer. So um, we were in this little um, like condo or something, and we were just praying with each other and encouraging each other and challenging each other. Hey, if you do this, uh, it will probably mean that you're not being led by the Spirit of God and you're following instead your own like instinct or your own whatever. So watch out for this. And we gave each other warnings. It was a really rich time. And on Friday morning, it was a Thursday night retreat, on Friday morning, um, I just went and got to go walk out on the beach in Newport. And there are those like rock, rocks that go, what do you call those? Jetty. Like a Yeti or a Jedi meet Jetty. And this jet, these uh, jetties, apparently, they like break waves, right? That's what they're there for. Um, and so I saw like a, a pod of dolphins. There were probably, I don't know, 15 or 20 dolphins um, right outside of the, the jetties, like right there. And so I just started following them because it was so cool. I don't know. I'm from Michigan, so still when I see dolphins in the ocean, it's still cool. Anybody still, like, you see dolphins, you get all excited? Okay. I get super excited, especially when there's that many of them. So I'm walking with the dolphins, and like along the thing, just like, they're so awesome, look at the dolphins, and there's nobody on the beach. And um, then I see this whole pack of surfers, not pack, but whatever, whatever you call a whole bunch of surfers, gaggle of geese, pot of dolphins, pack of surfers. And they're all waiting, like, there's, no, there's not tons of waves, but they're just sitting out there by the, the end of the jetty. Jetty? Yeah, jetty. And they're waiting to, to ride these waves in. And there's a bunch of people on shore watching them, probably like four or five, um, sitting. It's kind of overcast and cloudy, so there's not a lot of people on the beach, but there's four or five people uh, huddled who don't have any affiliation with the surfers. It's not like it's husbands or wives watching their spouse or anything like that. It's just people watching. And they're commenting and kind of talking about, oh, like, look at the waves. And um, a few of the surfers came in at one point. They were catching waves. They were waiting and catching them. And they came in, and they were, they were wet. And there was, like, this exhilaration. There was this life about them. You could tell that when they were riding waves, they were like, that was so amazing. It's what we were sort of created to do. I was created to be, at some level, a surfer. And I was thinking about how much that's what faith can become and be like. For some of us, faith is like sitting on the beach watching people surf. For some of us, we're commenting. We're watching, and, and maybe it's even like watching dead people surf or people who have surfed before, right? Like people in the past is like, look how they surfed. They had this kind of board and the water temperature was like this, and the wave came at such and such an altitude, or whatever, break, like, I don't know, wave terminology. But they're watching and commenting, and for some of us, that's what faith is. It's tradition. It's wrapped up in studying something from the past and commenting on it. It's watching other people do it, and then we sort of um, comment and, and sit back. Uh, for the surfers, it's about riding the wave. I just got to catch the next one. Because surfing is so much fun. I got to catch the next one. Um, this author, Stephen Argue, 
makes the distinction between faith and faithing. Faith, he says, is focused on um, sort of liturgical response uh, traditions. Faith values security and predictability. Faith, when we talk about the faith, can be an emphasis on guarding certain truths or certain descriptions of what faithing looks like. Faithing focuses on following God into the unknown. Faithing sees uncertainty as necessary to faith. Faithing emphasizes truth to be sought in a person, truth to be sought in relationship with the divine. Faithing means it's about me today depending on God more than I did yesterday. Walking in the Spirit is depending on Him that when He's calling out for me to step, that He's going to provide some footing. That when He's calling that cadence and I take a step, that He's going to offer me something to land on. It's about standing at the edge when a few years ago, 10, a few years ago, 12 years ago, um, I had a chance to study in Spain, and it was on the Mediterranean, and it was stupid, and as 21-year-olds and 20-year-olds, we should have never had this chance. But it was right on the Mediterranean, and so there were these cliffs that we would walk to um, five minutes away from our apartments, and one of our favorite things was to jump off these cliffs. Um, We would test them, test the water uh, below us by getting a big rock and throwing it, and then based on the sound, we would be able to tell it's deep enough. Um, but this is um, higher than the ceiling here, kind of cliffs, like really, really high. And there was a moment where we sat around, and if we sat and waited too long, um, we wouldn't do it. And you would see somebody step to the edge, and they were about to do it, and then they would kind of shrink back and like sit on the ground and realize what they were about to do and think, I, I can't do that. There's no way. Um, the scariest moment is when you're on the edge Once you've jumped, uh, all the fear just kind of leaves. And then you wonder if you're going to (laughs) live. But you're not afraid because there's nothing you can do about it anymore. And that's, that's faithing. It's when we walk to the cliff and we say, Holy Spirit, I want to follow you. I believe this is where you're calling me. And I think walking with you means trusting you with this dragon or cliff. And we jump. And so um, I don't know where your cliff is or your dragon. Um, Gandalf says to Bilbo at one time that the world is not in your maps or in your books. It's out there. The world's not actually in there. There's, that's not where the life is. Faithing is, is when you follow God into the unknown. Um, faithing is, is trusting that it may not be safe, but you know that when you go, um, your relationship with him and his people uh, will flourish. It'll, it'll even bear fruit. Um, I know what I'm capable of. I know what my sinful nature leads me to. I know I'm not necessarily even capable of producing goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and being self-controlled. But I know that when I'm walking in the Spirit, when God says, come, 
and I follow, and my eyes are fixed on him, my heart is set on him, and it sings no other name, that those things just kind of happen. Um, some of you might know Matt and Lisa DeVore. Uh, they are in the back, and um, I promise I wouldn't call them up. But next week, they leave uh, as part of this adventure, this faith adventure. Um, Matt was a Christian school teacher uh, at Redlands Christian for like seven years, and eight years? Eight years. And um, just had this gnawing sense of God calling, calling, calling. And here was the funny thing. He didn't even know to what. He didn't even know what he was being called to. Um, but he walked away. He said, you know, this is, it's not that it's bad. It's just it's not where the, the life for me is. It's not what God is inviting me to. I think he's calling me to some other thing, and I, I don't even know what it is. So um, he didn't sign his contract last spring and um, kind of just waited. God, I, okay, let's jump. Um, some of you know that this, about a month ago or so, um, his uncle uh, in Denver passed away. And so um, Matt and Lisa, as a part of even being at, at that funeral, um, really have the, had the sense of, of wanting to care for his grandparents. Um, and so they out in a week from now. They sold their house. They're packing things up. They're selling you know, their life on Craigslist. And they're moving to Denver. Um, now, I'm not saying you should all move to Denver. But I think it's, it's really counterintuitive, the choice that they're making. Into the unknown. Uh, the uncertain place. And I think if you would ask Matt and Lisa, like, hey, tell us about your faith during this time, um, they might tell you uh, that them and Jesus is like this right now. Because they got no jobs in Denver. Some of you might be like, that's just foolish. They've got two children. Yeah, I think it is kind of foolish. In like a Jesus foolish kind of a way. And when I think about Parker Benjamin Lee, if we as a community train him to be a really nice, responsible young man and how to stay within the lines of society and not go beyond that and how to be good and kind and gentle and peaceful and patient and self-controlled um, and never teach him how to walk in the spirit, we're gonna do him and his parents a, a huge disservice because he won't actually inherit the kingdom of God. Jim Elliott was a, a missionary who said he's not a fool who gives up what he cannot keep for the sake of what he can never lose. He's not a fool who gives up what he cannot keep for the sake of what he can never lose. You cannot lose your walk with God. Everything else goes, and that remains. Everything else is like chasing after the wind. And then you close your eyes for the last time, and that thing continues. He's not a fool who gives up what he can't keep for the sake of what he can never lose. I remember when my Oma passed away, um, seven or eight years ago, 
when she died, I remember I had trouble, trouble remembering whether or not she was dead or alive. I know that's really, really weird, but maybe it was because we were here and didn't attend their funeral. But I remember thinking to myself sometimes, like, is she dead? She's still alive. I loved my Oma a lot. But I would sometimes have to think, like, I can't remember because the way she walked on this life was like so close. It was like a foot in heaven. It's like she just stepped in heaven all day and was led by the Spirit in a way that when she died, it was just like now she just closed her eyes and kept doing it. And people of God at the river, this is a new season for us as a church community. Next week, uh, the council is going to present to you a budget that's like, I don't know, some ridiculous big increase. And this isn't about money. This is about faith. All the money on that document that they're going to present, all, all of that, and whatever they're going to ask, it's not about the money. It's not about the numbers. It's about faith. It's about God calling and saying, I want to go on an adventure with you. Let's go. You might never come back. And if you do, you won't be the same. Let's pray. Jesus, there's not a scarier place in my life than looking into your face. There's not a scarier word to me than when you say, come, when you bid me to leave. Leave behind the old leave behind my comfort, leave behind predictability, leave behind things that I know to, to follow you into places that I, that I can't see and maybe can't even understand. There's not a more terrifying word, and yet that's where I want to be. And so, Holy Spirit, would you lighten us a fire again? Would you tune our ears in to hear you? Would you give us words for each other of challenge and encouragement and vision? Would you give the young men and women in this room dreams and the old ones visions of a kingdom where we live with you? God, would you, would you fire up in us a, a, a new thing? For those of us who feel like that beat is deaf to us, for those of us who feel like we just can't hear it anymore, we used to walk like that, and we don't know how we ended up where we are now, but, but Lord, for those, would you just teach us again to turn, to, to look into your full face, to receive uh, your, your wonderful grace.